Have you ever noticed little children? Uh, you know, a lot of times you stop and ask a little child, you know, what, what do you want to be when you grow up? You ever notice in a child's face, you know, you ask them, or maybe you see them on television, someone's asking them a question like that. There's a, there's a light in their eyes and, a, you know, something in their faces when, they, when they're happy to tell you what their dream is about what they want to be. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. You know, I want to be a teacher or whatever it is. They, they have dreams of what they hope to be someday. When I was a kid, my, my dream was to be rich and famous. I'm still dreaming that. and hadn't made it yet. <laughs> but a dream. We, we have dreams, all of us. Not just children, but I think all of us still have dreams, don't we? Would it surprise you to know this morning God has a dream for you? Always has. Before you were ever born, God had a dream for you, what he wanted to see happen in your life. God had a dream for the children of Israel. He led them out of, out of Egypt and had a dream for them. We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to talk about God's dream and grasshoppers. Doesn't seem like it fits, does it? God's dream and grasshoppers. Numbers chapter 13 this morning is the background for our reading. Numbers chapter 13, we break in on the story today where the children of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt. They are right at the border of going into the promised land. The uh, survey party has gone out to see what's happening in the land, and they've come back to give a report of what they had found in the promised land. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. Would you stand, please, this morning as we look at God's word? Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. They came back to Moses. That is, that's the survey team that went in. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in, in the Negrev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we seemed the same to them. Now, how did they know that they looked like grasshoppers to the folks around there? They were spying the land. 
But in their eyes, they seemed like grasshoppers. God's dream and grasshoppers. Thank you, and please be seated. I think many of us here this morning remember, at least we've read in history books or our parents have told us about, the Great Depression. 1929, when the stock market crashed in an October day and, and fortunes were lost in a day and people committed suicide in our land, the United States of America, as well as the rest of the world, went through a great time, a number of years of great turmoil, of high unemployment, people, you know, going into soup lines, all kinds of things happened. Poverty was abounding, and what, what, what we went through called the Great Depression. I, I remember my father telling us about uh, his family that lived way out in the country in Texas that literally almost starved to death during the Great Depression. They, they got by by eating sweet potato roots and whatever they could dig up to live on. It was a, was a tough time for all of them. And I heard recently that the, that the Great Depression in the early 1990s, after that, America, America's mind changed. It was kind of like a great scar that ran, runs through our history. Before the Great Depression came, there was one attitude in America, and after the Great Depression, there was another after the Great Depression, there was an outlook that was in people's minds that safety had to be of highest importance. The government did all it could to ensure and guarantee the savings people had set aside, but people began to run and buy insurance to make sure that nothing happened to them where they did not have insurance. Later on, Corporations, when they got their, themselves back on their feet, corporate executives began to give themselves what we call golden parachutes in case their plans didn't work out. And of course, industry back in those days was compelled to bring in cost of living increases. All of that happened as a result of the Great D Depression. But you see, safety and not taking chances became the norm of the day. But you know, progress always requires risk. Progress always requires risk. And there's one outstanding thing that we never really quite got hold of after the Great Depression. And that was, if a turtle is ever going to go anywhere, it has to stick its neck out. Did you notice that? That if a turtle is ever going anywhere, it first of all has to stick its neck out. And so it was in the story of the Exodus. The Israelites were coming to, out of bondage. They had been slaves now for over 400 years. And all of a sudden, their prayers were answered. And God sent Moses to take them out and lead them to the promised land. There had been a dream among those people there. They had dreamed for centuries about the promised land. They dreamed about the land of milk and honey. They dreamed about their own freedom. These were a people that had never known freedom. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, as back as far as they could remember, none of them had ever known freedom, but they longed, they dreamed for freedom. And then in the miracle of God, they begin to realize that. Now they were going to the promised land for God sent Moses to lead them out. And as they were about to be devoured by the waters of the Red Sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea opened, the Bible tells us, and they walked straight through. 
They had a time of great celebration, and then God took them to the promised land, but not directly to the promised land. First of all, he took them to what we know as Sinai. Now, if you know your geography very well this morning, you know that to go from Egypt to Israel is a distance of about 120 miles. But you see, the Egyptians had placed fortifications about every five miles along the major highway, and these slaves coming out of bondage wanted to go straight down that highway as quickly as they could. But if they had done that, they would have had to go by those Egyptian fortifications and they would have had to go into battle there and they weren't ready to go to battle. Also, they did not have the character to do that. They'd been slaves for a long time. Someone had been making decisions for them for a long time. There was no history among them about self-rule or self-direction. For God said, you can't go that way. They, they really won't know what to do. They'll be killed or recaptured again. So God sent them on a zigzag kind of a route. God called them not to go north, but they went south. And so they went south to Sinai, and there God hammered out a nation, and there God gave them the Ten Commandments. And Moses began to take them then to the Promised Land. Now, they traveled there to the Promised Land until they came to the edge of the Promised Land, and then Moses made a tremendously bad mistake. He, he appointed a committee. He appointed a committee. Now, it was a very democratic committee. One person from each of the 12 tribes, he wanted to make sure everybody was represented. Now, I remind you that all during their travels in these days, they had been saying some very affirming things to Moses. Things like, did you bring us out here to the desert to die? Like, didn't we have enough graves back in Egypt that we had to come out here? Or things like, you know, do we have to eat this manna every day of our lives? Now, now, can you imagine being a slave, always having things provided for you, and then all of a sudden you have freedom, and all of a sudden you begin to complain about the gravy on your biscuits? Well, now they came to the edge of the promised land, and all this complaining along the journey was going on in Moses' mind. And so Moses appointed a promised land committee, and they went in to spy out the land. Now, they had 40 days in which to do it. They had a good expense account. They went all over the place. They went to the cities. They looked around at the farms. They went to all the entertainment areas. They went to the family parks and all the areas. And they came back with a report. And when they came back, they brought with them the fruit of the land of how good and great the land really was. Everybody in their Israelite camp rejoiced, and the spies were safely back. So Moses called a congregational meeting. Everybody wanted to hear what the spies had to say. Now, the spies were not united in their report. Ten of them said, we can't go in. Two of them said, yes, we can. But the ten who said we can't go in started spreading rumors among the people. And they said, you know, we can't do it. It's too big. We have to go back to Egypt. And when they took a vote, 
Ten of them voted to say we can't do it. They're giants in the land. We are just like grasshoppers to them. And so with all these fear factors and tactics that came up, they really didn't know what to do. And so they began to look around, and the Bible says there was murmuring in the camp. Murmuring. Now, folks, that's a good Nazarene word, murmuring. And you know what God decided to do there? God said, you know, you aren't ready for this. So he took the Israelites back into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. And everyone who was 20 years of age and older had to die off before they could go back to the promised land. Well, what about those 10 spies? You read through the next chapters, and those Mr. Negativities there died early and they died quickly, except for Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, two of those spies, said, we can do it, and they were allowed to go to the promised land, although they had to wander 40 years as well. Even Moses didn't make it in. Now, I know for most of us this morning, that, that's a very familiar story. Many of us have read that story and heard that story since childhood, but from that story this morning, I would like to extract three ideas for us. The first idea that I want us to see is that victory, victory in any undertaking you and I have, any, no matter what it may be, our victory is in our vision. Our victory is in our vision. If you don't see a victory, you're not going to have a victory. Do you know that? You cannot think defeat and still have victory because the two are tied together. I think of that old story about the automobile sales manager who he was looking at his salesman. The salesmen were not doing very well in their sales, and sales were down, and morale was low, and they didn't really know what to do at the automobile agency. So the sales manager called them all together, and he brought to the meeting a great big white poster board with him. And down in the corner of that poster board, he drew a little black dot. And he said to all the salesmen, now, what do you see? And they all said, well, we see that little dot down there. And every one of them looked at him and said, well, we, we see the dot. We see it. And he said to them, you know, that, that's very interesting. You're all behind on your sales, and all of you are defeated as salesmen. And when you saw that blank piece of poster board, nobody sees an opportunity there. All you saw is the dot. He says, there's enough room on that poster board to write the Ten Commandments and the 23rd Psalms and the entire Gettysburg Address. And you did not see that opportunity. All you saw was the dot. He said, there's enough room on that poster board for you to write several sales contracts, but you didn't see opportunities. All you saw was the dot and defeat. And you were defeated because of your vision, and the vision was all wrong, and all they saw was the problem. Now, the Israelites didn't think much about themselves because they had been wandering so long, they had been slaves all of their lives, and they overestimated the enemy, and they underestimated God. 
Isn't that what we do so often? We look at our problems, and we overestimate the problem, and we forget how big God is. Now, when I talk about our personal lives and how it applies to all of us, most of us, our antenna sort of goes up. But when I address the church, and that the church must do this or must do that, most of our antennas sort of go down. And in our culture, we normally don't think as a group. So I, I want to try to give this morning one track for individuals and one track for the church. Let me try to do that. Do you realize this morning there are giants in your land? Just turn on your television sometime today, and you're going to see every day some giants. There are disasters. There are shootings. There are wars. There are tsunamis. There are earthquakes, you know, all, all over the place. And, and, you know, there's hatred. There's prejudice all around us. And, and I don't know about you, but I just get tired of turning on my television every week and watching about some mass shooting that's taking place somewhere. And all of us are beginning to wonder if there's any integrity anywhere up and down the corporate ladder, and fear seems to be abounding everywhere we turn. There was a guy who wrote a book on fear. He said there are 30 million Americans who are dominated by their fears. And they surveyed over 3,000 people, and they could give a number of answers to the question about the fears they had. And 41% of them said their greatest fear was what? Public speaking. Getting up in front of someone in public, 41%. 32% had fear of heights. 22% had fear of insects. 22% had fear of their financial problems. 20% had fear of deep water or serious disease or death, fear of flying or being alone. Folks, it takes courage just to live, doesn't it? And few of us really want to muster the courage in order to face the problems that life brings to us. Read the story about the mouse the mouse who ran through the house in India, and as he did, he saw a cat. He was frightened, so the mouse ran to the local magician, and he said, you know, I'm tired of being a mouse. Make me into a cat, and bingo, he was a cat. Well, he began to run through the land, the yard, until he came to the neighborhood dog, and he got scared, so he ran back to the magician and said, I would rather be a dog, and bingo, he was a dog. Well, the dog began to run through the neighborhood, and then he trotted, trotted to the forest, and in the forest he saw a tiger. Well, dogs are no match for a tiger, so he ran back to the magician and said, I, 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 I want to be a tiger, and bingo, he was a tiger. Now, you see, he prowled around the jungle thinking, now he had made it, he was king of the beast, until he suddenly saw a hunter. And, you know, he ran back to the magician and said, please make me a hunter. And the magician said, no, no, I'm going to make you a mouse because you only have the heart of a mouse. 
And you know, most of us, many of us, go through life and we just want to stay comfortable with the heart of a mouse. While God is saying to us, you need to have a big heart and you need to have a big vision to see what I have in store for you. So let me ask you this Sunday morning, what do you see in your life? Do you see giants? Do you say to yourself, oh, Pastor Mike, you know, I, I can never do that. Pastor Mike, I, I can never go there. Pastor Mike, I, I can never give that much. Pastor Mike, I, I can never get involved. I just can't do it. Or do you see the power of God in your life to deal with, with whatever it is that's out there and whatever it is God wants you to do? God has a dream. Sometimes he deals with grasshoppers. Victory is in our vision. What do we see? Secondly, I want to point out our adequacy is in our attitude. Our adequacy is in our attitude. I like the story. Supposed to be true. I'm not really sure it is, but supposed to be true. Liberace. Everybody remember Liberace? Funny little guy, played piano, you know. Liberace, celebrated pianist, showman. He went to give a, a concert in Balboa Park in Miami. So he went to Miami a week early and took a room in a Miami hotel. And there he practiced the piano almost day and night, right in his hotel suite in order to get ready for his concert. Well, there was a woman who was staying in the suite next door. She didn't know about that concert. She knew she didn't like all that playing on the piano day and night. So finally, she called the manager of the hotel and said, you have to do something about that piano playing going on next door to my suite. It's coming in or it's coming day and night, and I'm hearing it in my suite. Somebody's in there. He's banging on the piano, and I just can't stand it. Well, the manager said, Madam, I would do something if I could, but you need to understand that's Liberace in there, and he's practicing for a concert in the park, and as soon as the concert is over, the piano playing will go away. She said, say no more. She hung up, she got on the telephone, she called every friend that she had, and they all came over to her suite, and they all sat with their ears to the wall and got a free concert while he played the piano. Now, you see, the banging on the piano had turned into a free concert simply because her attitude had changed. These Hebrews began to look around, and they saw the son of Anak, the giants. They said, wow, those guys are big. And then they looked at themselves, and they said, we are so inadequate. I want you to know this morning, most of us feel inadequate most of the time. Let's be honest. Most of us feel inadequate most of the time. Some people who walk around with their chest all puffed up and act like they've got it all together feel just as inadequate as we do today. Everybody feels inadequate, and everybody from time to time feels like a grasshopper. In fact, sometimes gets things so tough that we have a right to feel inadequate. 
I got thinking about that analogy today. We are grasshoppers. Now, we are, the, the enemy is big, and we're like grasshoppers. I asked myself, what does a grasshopper do? Do you know? What's a grasshopper do? Well, it eats a lot, and it hops around in the grass. And the only time the grasshopper ever really sees the sun or understand what land is like is when he hops up and then he goes back down. I imagine that to a grasshopper, a blade of grass must look like a pine tree to us, you know. When I was pastoring occasionally, I'd meet with people and they'd say, Mike, you pastored in some big cities, you know, you pastored in Cincinnati, you pastored in Dayton, Ohio. You pastored in Baltimore, Maryland. Now that you're pastoring in Mount Vernon, Ohio, first church there, what's it like to pastor a big church located in a small town? And my response is always the same. The major issue every church has, whether it's in a big city or a small town, the major problem that every church has is a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment. People are just not committed. They're like grasshoppers. They flit in from here and they flit out. They come in spiritually hungry. They eat up all that we have to offer them. And then they flit off to some other place. And you do, do feel like a grasshopper if you're not really committed and if you haven't spent time with the Lord. You do feel like a grasshopper if you really don't understand that your strength is small. And you do feel like a grasshopper when you haven't embraced the things of God that enable you to grow deep and grow strong in the Lord. I think about that story of the legendary Newt Rockney. He was the famous football coach many, many years ago of Notre Dame. He was known not only for being a great coach, but he was also known for his psychological tricks that he would sometimes work with his players as well as, you know, his great skill as a coach. Well, they were going to play the University of Southern California. And they were playing University of Southern California that year for the national championship. Rockne knew that his team was outweighed at every position that they had. He knew the Southern California team was an incredibly big and an incredibly strong team. Now, his team was small that year. It was a very, very good team, plus the fact it was very well coached, but it was small. Here's what he did. Newt Rockney won all over the campus of Notre Dame, and when he would see a very big guy there, I mean really big, didn't make any difference whether he had any athletic ability at all. He just needed to be really, really big. Rockney would say to him, come to the gym. He found a hundred really big men. They weren't necessarily good athletes. They were just really big. So he brought them to the gym and, you know, he dressed them all in a football uniform and he got the biggest shoulder pads he could find and put on those guys. And so the day that they played the University of Southern California, the first 100 men who ran out on the field were those giants that he had recruited. The players from the University of Southern California looked at them and they said, wow, look at that. Now, those big guys never played a minute. 
the regular football team played, but the University of Southern California was so intimidated by those monsters standing on the sideline, they lost the game. My point is, adequacy is in our attitude. In our attitude. Now let me talk to the church. Israel had forgotten that God had brought them out of bondage. Israel had forgotten that God cared for them at every point in the journey. Now, let's not forget this morning the goodness of God. I suspect this morning, without really having gone into the history of the Willard Church, I suspect that in the history of the Willard Church, that our history here is filled with times when it might have looked to some of the early pioneers here that there would be no way that that church could move and go forward. Whether it was in a decision to buy this piece of property out here or to build this building or, or to create ministries that touch the community or to reach the world through missions, there were times out there in the history of the Willard Church where it just looked like nothing was going to happen and nothing could go forward. But I want to tell you, this church has felt the hand of God, and there's always been folks in this church who said, yes, we can. We can do whatever it is God wants this church to do. We are the people of God. We have been selected by God, not because somehow we were better. God never chooses those that are the, the strongest. He sometimes chooses the weakest. You see, God went to some slaves down in Egypt, and he said to them, you are chosen. They said, we don't want to be chosen. We just want to get out of here. So he picked them up, and he brought them out, and he said, you are my chosen, and you are the, you are the ones through whom the Savior will come, and from you the church will be born. And folks, God did not raise up this church just to provide fun and games. God did not raise up this church to give us something to do when there wasn't any other place to go on Sunday morning. There's a, church, there's a world out there that's going to hell, and there are families that are being torn apart, and there are children that are being ground up out there, and immorality and sin know no boundaries. And as the people of God, you and I need to understand we are on a mission. God has something for us to do. And when I look around our district, when I look around at our churches, the places where I've been as interim pastor, I've said to me, we, myself, we need to have ministries that are unique and creative and effective. We need to have warm, vital, embracing worship times. We need to be a safe, mature church, a church where we all are Nazarenes in the very best sense of the word and where we don't have to apologize for that. We need to be a church that loves and does not hate, where we forgive and don't condemn, where we're all open-hearted and not closed and narrow and provincial. I dream and I pray that we will always be a church that, like we're supposed to be in the sight of God. Our adequacy is in our attitude. But also, our destiny is in our direction. Our destiny is in our direction. Now, as I, I said earlier, the Israelites got what they wanted. Some 
wanted to die in the wilderness. They just wanted to die there, and God let them. Some wanted the promised land, and God let them have that. They got what they decided that they wanted, and God gave them what they wanted. Now, in my years, I've studied the Bible and how God chooses people and how God chooses groups to do things, and I've used that sort of as a template to lay across the church. And I've seen a very interesting thing through the years. When God has a task to do, he calls a group of people to do it. And if they don't do it, if they don't step up to the task, then God moves on to someone else because God is going to get it done and God will find somebody else to do it. So I ask, what about you today? What about you? There is nothing that happens in our lives that God cannot use. Every one of us has come here today inadequate. We've come with holes in our background. We've come this morning in some ways starting over, but God is using us. And nowhere in Scripture do I read that God brings people to a place and then he abandons them. Even when the people of God here did not say yes to what God wanted them to do, he still stayed with them. Now, they had to wander in the wilderness, and many of them died off in the wilderness, but he stayed with them. And with the new generation, God accomplished his will for their lives. God has a future for you, and God has a future for this church, because victory is in our vision, and our adequacy is in our attitude, and our destiny is in our direction, either the promised land or the wilderness, one or the other. I like to read Max Lucado. Some of you like to read him. You know how he writes. There's a story that Max Lucado writes about his family that when his daughter was four years old, they had this little game that they played. She would stand on the edge of the bed, and he would stand a little way back, and she would jump into his arms. And they got to the place where that he would stand sometimes way back from the bed, and she would jump really far, and he would always catch her. And they developed a relationship where she would jump, and he would catch. Now, Max also had a 10-year-old daughter, and she wanted in on the fun. So one day she went to the 4-year-old daughter and said, let me stand over there, and you jump to me. That little 4-year-old girl said, no. I won't do that. Her sister said, why? And here's the answer the little four-year-old gave. She said, I only jump into big arms. I only jump into big arms. I want to tell you, we're jumping into the big arms of God. The big arms of God. And we do that when we remember that victory is in our vision and our adequacy is in our attitude and our destiny is in our direction. And the question becomes then, what is God saying to you and what is God saying to me? 
Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Let me ask you this morning. What is God saying to you about a step of faith that you need to take? What has God been talking to you about a, maybe a new spiritual adventure you need to walk out and let him help you with? What is God saying maybe to you this morning about a new direction for your life? What is God saying to you this morning about some new area of commitment and trust that you need to take. Whatever it is, however he's challenging you, in whatever area God has been speaking into your own heart that you already know about, that he's been talking to you about, whatever it is that you've been a little afraid to, to make the step. Remember, you're stepping into, you're jumping into big arms. To a God who will never fail. Father, across this auditorium today, we have sensed your spirit. We sensed it earlier this morning when we sang about how much that we need you. When our heart began to cry out, Lord, that really is where we are. We need you. And when we began to sing about your presence, how we sensed that your presence was here all through our, our congregation of folks. And we believe right now you're speaking to someone or to many about new areas of life, new challenges you're setting before them new places already you've been talking to them long before they came to church today. Places of commitment. Places of trust. Places where they might need to step out from safety and from comfort. From places where it's just kind of been nice to be and stay. To take on new challenges. To believe God to lead in new directions to help in ways that, that you're standing ready to move in and prove yourself to be God in their lives. Well, we don't know what it is. We don't know where it is. We don't know who it is this morning, but somehow long before I came to church today, I felt like, Lord, there are folks today that, that need to hear your word and begin now to move out in places where you've already spoken where already you've been dealing, where already they've been right on the edge of making that step into the promised land of your will and your way. And I pray they will do that. And when they step out to realize they've stepped into the great arms of a loving God who will help them with every challenge they face to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that as we go this, our way today and as we face our tomorrow and as we go out this afternoon, will you keep on speaking to us, challenging us, helping us to become the people of God and the church of God that you want us to be. 
And as you do it, we rely on you and give you our thanks and our praise and our very selves. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever it is, wherever he leads, whatever he's saying to you, if you take the first step, God will prove himself strong and will help you to do it. Would you stand with me, please? Why don't you take a moment and smile at your neighbor real big. Let them know you're glad they came to church today. God bless you, and have a good day in the Lord.